Hi, and welcome to the She's a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Louise, and this podcast is going to be brought to you every single week. If you're a Christian and you're looking for some great community, then we hope that this podcast makes you feel like you've nipped round to your pal's house for a cup of tea and a chinwag, and that you go away feeling even more excited and more aware of God's goodness, his love for you and his protection over you. If you aren't a Christian or you know some Christians, but they're a bit weird, maybe you're not even sure that God exists, maybe you're seeking, then this is a great place for you too. Come along, tune in, and we hope that you go away feeling encouraged and uplifted, hearing testimonies of goodness from people from all walks of life. Tune in, I don't really know what I'm doing, but does anyone, and let's do this together. Hi everyone, welcome on to season one, episode three, and this week I am with Jane Ferguson. So Jane and I know each other from church, and I'm really excited to chat to her this week, and I know that this will be an absolutely brilliant episode. So sit back and enjoy wherever you're tuning into this. So just to give you a little bit of background on Jane, as I mentioned, I know Jane from church, but she's actually from Liverpool, although living in Perth now. Um, Jane has three kids. So she's got Beth, Laura and Thomas. So Beth is 20, Laura is 18, Thomas is 16. She's got two cats who are three and a spaniel who is nine. Jane is really involved in our church with the Recovery Cafe, which is a phenomenal program. And I asked her, you know, what's your main role at Recovery Cafe? And she said, my main role is turning up every single week. And you know, that consistency with the people that go along there is so, so important. So as well as turning up every week, Jane does do a ton of stuff behind the scenes to ensure that this can happen. And not just providing community for the people that come along, but also being the middleman for making sure that they get filtered into any local programs or, you know, rehabilitation that can that can really aid their recovery. I asked Jane what she would do with her day if money was of no object whatsoever. And here's what she said. She said she would visit her family in Shropshire, study theology and explore successful rehabilitation options for people and probably start one herself in Perth. So that gives you a little flavour of who Jane is. She's passionate about people and helping people and that really comes across whenever you meet her. So I have the pleasure of seeing Jane every single week at church and I'm more, I'm excited for my listeners to get to know a little bit about Jane and I'm sure by the end of this recording Jane will be your friend as well. So Jane, thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. I will just tell everyone a funny story. I wrote you a Facebook private mail, this long-winded kind of ask, like, will you do me a favor? And I was really selling the idea of like, please come on to my podcast. And it was quite a wordy ask. And you wrote back and said, I've not read what you said, but yes, that's fine. I'll, I'll do it. It's <laughs> like, Jane, this is a very dangerous way to navigate <laughs> your life. <laughs> I actually think I said something like, I won't actually repeat what I said, but I said something <laughs> inappropriate. And I said, I can't even ask you to do anything. So thank you so much for trusting me and popping on the podcast, particularly because we're only three episodes in and mm-hmm. it's really not, it's still in its infancy and it's it's just getting started. And the reason I wanted you to come on is you can chat away to ev- anyone and everyone. And that is something that is such a gift for getting on a podcast because I don't want someone at the start who's going to freeze because I have absolutely no idea really how to host a podcast or anything like that. So my whole plan is get people on the podcast that are far, far better than me at chatting and all the rest of it. And that person is you. Thank you very much. Have you got any of your animals cuddled in beside you right now? 
I've got Tess just next to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our cats is just outside at the moment waiting for the other cat to show up. So she oh. won't come in until the other cat comes in too. So she likes to oh. know we're all in together. Is she head honcho and she's like making sure everyone's okay? No, she's just fat and lazy and she doesn't go out very much. She just sits outside the door and waits for the other cat to come back from her adventures. And then she's like, now I'm coming in. But I think it's to try and fool me to make me think that she's been out on adventures too. But she's literally, I can see where she is now. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think she's like, hey, tell me all about your adventure. Like, Tell me what it's like. And like lives vicariously through the, the non-lazy one. Well, I don't know. I don't know whether she's actually that bothered, really. I think she just likes the company, but I don't think she's the type who's interested in anyone except herself. Oh, gosh. That is so funny. I feel like I need to come over and meet these hilarious animals. I love that you've got them all figured out. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, because I started this podcast to talk to Christians and really uh, demystify these people that roam the earth that call themselves Christians. <laughs> and show people that are just normal people that um are just like anyone else but we we follow Jesus and we know Jesus can you please tell us a wee bit about how you became a Christian and when uh I became a Christian when I was 18 and I'd got myself in a lot of trouble um or at least I felt as I had and I felt like I was a real mess and I sat on my back doorstep um, of my parents' house and just said, God, if you're out there, you need to show me. You need to show me where you are. And bizarrely, I didn't realise it at the time, it was an answer to prayer. But bizarrely, that evening, um, a friend came around and told me about Jesus. And on the inside, I was cringing. I was like, this is weird. This is really weird. And the way you're talking about Jesus is just a bit over the top. But I knew because I prayed that this is this was God answering. So I um, said a very basic prayer, just, Lord, I'm sorry for messing up. Um, I believe in you. Can you come into my life? Can you please change me, sort me out? Amen. And that was it. That was the start of a life as a Christian. Had you been, um, as a child, taken on to church or went to Sunday school or anything like that? Yeah, I was brought up as a Catholic. My mum was a, a committed Catholic um my dad I don't know really he didn't go to church he did when he was a kid but he didn't when he was older and I remember him really not being impressed with the Catholic faith but really the only experience he had of it was through my mum and my mum had had a hard time with one thing or another with the church but I went to church with her and she believed that the Catholic church was the one true faith and what I realized is that People can be Christians as Catholics or Protestants or whatever, absolutely. But there's only one true God. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the difference. So when you sat on your doorstep, were you kind of like, it wasn't a completely foreign, abstract idea that there was a God. Were you kind of like, okay, like let's give this avenue a bash then? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I could not help myself. Mm-hmm. Um I I was just sort of out of my depth with all the things that were going on in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I thought I need to find something quick. And the first thing that came to mind was maybe God is real. Maybe he can help me. But Mm -hmm. I wasn't, even as being brought up as a Catholic, I'd never, ever spoke to God properly. Yeah. Um, It's only been through repeated prayers and through 
um, the format of the Catholic Mass. I'd never really prayed properly yeah. myself yeah, from the heart. And what happened after that? Did you, like, that Sunday go to church or was it something that you were just navigating yourself for a while? The next day, I went to bed straight away. Yeah. And the next day I woke up absolutely sobbing, just sobbing and, like, talking to God about absolutely all sorts. And I found my friend who had spoken to me and I said, I'm in a mess, I don't know what to do. I know I'm a Christian, but I don't know what next. And um, he was about to go away, but he had a whole network of people. And um, he arranged for them, like, one by one to sort of come around and chat to me, talk to me about how to find a church, what to do, and all of that type of thing. And it was a real big deal because my mum, being such a committed Catholic, would have been gutted if it left the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I would go to the Catholic Church in the morning oh. and any church I could in the evening. Okay. And I sort of explored a lot, but I ended up just with my local church because I didn't have to get a bus. Yeah. Um, I could just walk to my local church and it was a little church of England. Mm -hmm. And I was like, right, I'm here to stay. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And um, what was I going to say? So you were in Liverpool. How old were you at this point? Were you a teenager or a young, young adult? Uh, 18, maybe 17 actually going on 18 because right, okay. I was still in school. I was in sixth form at an all-girls Catholic convent school. Oh gosh, okay. So you're still very much kind of like, you know, under the tenure of your mum. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like yeah. Family house and things like that. So you were um, sneaking off to church. <laughs> I was sneaking off to church and the bizarre thing is that my brother would like quite often go out with his mates and have a drink and stuff and he would never get told off. I would go to house group and they would go absolutely nuts. My parents thinking I'd been whisked into some sort of cult and I was back by 10 o'clock and it was like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh I'm studying the Bible. <laughs> Did the nuns find out? Yes. Um, I was in an RE class and I asked too many questions, basically, okay. um, because I was really trying to find out where Jesus was. And the Catholic faith is there, but I, I still had loads of questions. Yeah. And um, the deputy head spoke with me and she said, Jane, we have had girls removed and sent to other schools if they changed the faith. And you wouldn't want to do that right in the middle of your A-levels, would you? And I was like, no. <laughs> Gosh. It's just funny that there's such a big spectrum. So my wee boy goes to a Catholic school. And yeah. one of the reasons I sent him there is it's a decidedly Christian school. The head teacher, um, the the deputy head, I believe she's, she, she's a born again. Like she's born again. Yeah. They, they very much talk about Jesus. They talk about gospel yeah. living. Um, but it could so very go... It, it could it could go the other way, like what you experienced, yeah. couldn't it? Yeah. Um. So exactly. my only experience of Catholic schools has been these like beautiful communities that are so focused on Jesus and want to know yeah. the message of the gospel. And but I can imagine that for you at that school, you know, had you not just maybe stuck your head down and got on with your A levels, or had you been a first year, yeah, <laughs> panned out a wee bit differently. Yeah, we might have done. <laughs> no, we're allowed to stay. Oh yeah, I was allowed to. Well, I was allowed to stay if I didn't ask any more questions. <laughs> They're like, listen, and Jane, you shut your mouth, you can stay. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, what do you, from an outsider's point of view, do you yeah. think that 
you're the perfect person to ask this question to because of where you volunteer, where you spend your time and energy. What do you think some of the preconceived ideas are that people have about Christianity um, that you, yeah, that, that, that you've witnessed firsthand? Uh, there's, gosh, there's such a wide spectrum of, of views. Um, uh, it's weird. It's out of date. Um, people who go to church are religious. They dress in a particular way. They're in a particular um, lifestyle. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily get people who are poor going to church or who are struggling with addictions. It's serious. It's it's really serious as, as uh, how some people think it. A lot of people say to me, I could never go to church after what I've done and just feel that they have to be at a certain level of perfection before they're allowed to walk into church. Uh, lots of jokes about I would be lightning fodder if I walked in, I'd be struck down and I'd go into balls of flames. And um, I've promised them that I've walked in and that's not happened and I'm no less perfect than they are. So, but yeah, there are a lot of the preconceptions. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think a lot of people think church, well, I'd say most people think church is a museum for good people when that's so far from the case. And if you think about in the Bible, who Jesus reserved his most disdain and his anger for. It was the religious Pharisees, right? It was the people walking about with that elevated sense of goodness and righteousness that they believed was theirs, that they'd earned themselves, right? I think that that mindset, as you say, is still the blueprint, which a lot of people see church through today, whether it's people they've met or whether it's just their own filter, right? That they they see church through and do you think that you get the opportunity on a Wednesday when you you you, you see some people that are perhaps unchurched have never been in church that you you think you know you're seeing them as as addicts and or recovering and you're thinking in your head there is an answer to this there's there's something that can break these chains how much do you feel at liberty to actually say that or do you feel like you want to kind of be a step back I feel at liberty to do it, um, but I don't think it's respectful to a person as soon as they walk in, regardless of what situation they're in, to say, hey, I believe in Jesus. He can source out all your problems. And by the way, if you just pray now and get down on your knees and confess your sins and blah, 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 you're going to be sorted for the rest of your life. Um, I think it's important to get to know the person. I think it's important to love the person, to, you know, even when sometimes you're wondering how can I love this person ask God you know how can I love give me this your love for this person and um building up a relationship and through building up a relationship and like I said before being there every week it makes it very easy to talk about Jesus and sometimes just say look I know this isn't working for you you've told me yourself methadone's not helping and all of these things and all of these situations would you mind if I prayed for you? Um, would you consider maybe coming to church? You know, we've got an alpha course running at the moment, which is like a, a course in, in exploring Christianity. You don't even have to become a Christian or believe in anything when you go. Um, but we have a table full of people from a recovery cafe coming to alpha every Sunday. And it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Oh, and can you tell us a bit more about the recovery cafe? Like, where does it take place? What's the format? Who comes along? Like, in, any stories that you think would just be brilliant to share and you know, great for people to be aware of? 
Okay. Um, all right. The Recovery Cafe, it's been going on in the church for a long time under the name of The Ark, um, way before I, I joined. And it was basically providing an open door to come in, get some food, get some soup, possibly get some clothes and some things to take away with you. And just a safe space that was a place where they could be listened to. That was the, the main aim. And now I would say that is still the main aim to be a safe space where people can be listened to. But also our heart is very much to see people get better. So on a Wednesday, a typical format would be to welcome people as they come in, have tea and coffee ready for them, pretty much like you're inviting someone into your house. You know, do you want a cuppa? What do you want? What can I get you? Type of thing and making people feel welcome serving food and then sitting amongst all the different people enjoying food with them which I think is important too I think when you're sitting around the table together it's a great leveler rather than being patronizing and you know kind of get some soup you poor thing type of thing it's like I'm about to have my meal with you and I am with you through this journey there are loads oh gosh there, there are so many stories so many stories to share um, there's one guy who comes in and I quite often say a little prayer at the beginning and he runs into the kitchen afterwards and says, right, can we all pray together? And he wants us all to hold hands and pray with him. There are people now that I've learned through them coming to Alpha that they have gone to church when they were younger. Some of them went to Sunday school to escape the situations they were in. Um, one of the things I've discovered are that very few people actually purposely chose the life that the that, that's happening now it was almost like they were off to a non-star so you know parents are alcoholics too or drug addicts too and um they've been neglected they haven't had family around them and um a temptation that involves some sort of escape has been very very strong and i think you know when i listen to these stories i think well i've been tempted to escape sometimes you know, not necessarily through drugs and alcohol, but there are times when I've said to God, I wish I could just fall off the face of this earth. You know, there are often times in desperation that um, we need something else to help us. And really, there that's what becomes very, very clear to me. I can't think of any stories off the top of my head, but if they come, I'll, I'll come back to yeah. them. What yeah. do you think are some preconceived ideas that people have about addicts? That they're dangerous. They're going to steal, they smell, um, you can't get any common sense out of them. It was their choice and therefore they deserve the consequences. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. And what would people be surprised to hear about addicts? That they are people. Yeah. And the only difference between me and them is that they're a little bit more broken at the moment than I am. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's you're you're the perfect person for this role Jane and like I just wish people could see like everything that goes on behind the scenes and like the interest that you take in the minutia of of people's lives and I remember you telling me that you were on a mission to replace someone's coffee cup because their lid was broken and it was sellotaped on and you know that yeah. that that to them was so so important so you were like mm -hmm. you were interested in the fact this person's coffee cup wasn't in a you know was wasn't working properly and when you you know it, it's cold that that's that's a big big deal you were interested in that and you made it your mission to to head off and ensure that that situation was rectified and um 
uh, yeah, I just I just find that so important and and so amazing. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that whilst it's hard work every Wednesday, and you run another community cafe as well, I'm sure that um, it's very fulfilling. Oh, it's it's the highlight of my week. Yeah. It's absolutely the highlight of my week. I love it. I love that we have a God that sees what our strengths and abilities are mm-hmm. and finds something so perfect for us. Oh, um, it's, it's just amazing. You know, and often I feel way more blessed mm-hmm. and encouraged than what I feel I'm giving out. Yeah. And you've got all these new friends now that come along to the recovery <laughs> cafe that I'm sure you just love yeah. to see every week. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely do. And we miss people. Yeah. If they miss a week, we're worried about them and, you know, what, what are they up to and things. And yeah. quite often, you know, they've just been watching the football game or something like that. Um, but we, we imagine all sorts and tell yeah. them off the next week for not letting us yeah. know. <laughs> it must be really worrying, you know? Yeah. It must be like having a lot of people to worry about, um, particularly the ones that are, are more vulnerable from week to week. But how amazing yeah. for them to have someone that notices that they're not in the room. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, yeah, it's wonderful what goes what goes on there. Um, back to you. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can use the Recovery Cafe, the ARC, as an example. But have you, have there been any times in your life where you have absolutely, you know, felt this tangible, oh, good grief, like Jesus is underpinning me right now in this entire situation um, or move miracles in your life? Um has there been anything you've ever faced like that? I've got a number, a number of examples. Um, the first example was after I became a Christian. I could not imagine my mum ever leaving the Catholic faith, and I couldn't imagine my dad ever, ever being interested mm-hmm. in anything to do with God. And um, over months, I prayed for them and, and cried about it and stuff because they really didn't understand me. And I know it's a typical teenage thing to go, I'm just not understood. My parents don't understand me. But they were really totally freaked out mm-hmm. by my my faith. Okay. And um, I started inviting friends around and we'd go upstairs to my bedroom for a prayer time. And they were like, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. <laughs> and... Um, I just thought, you know, I, I just can't see it. But I remember reading in the Bible. I was new to reading the Bible, but, you know, faith can move mountains. And I was like, right, well, my dad is my mountain, if you like. And um, I prayed for him and cried so much. And my dad was very strict. And I was helping out on a short-term mission on a ship called Logos 2 that was docked in Liverpool. And it was a chance for young Christians to go and help and volunteer and sort of get involved in the missionary world. And I absolutely loved it. But one night I was really late home and I was panicking. I thought my dad's going to go absolutely nuts about me being late. And as I ran home, my bag burst and I had a little Bible that fell out, my comb, my purse, everything. And it was dark. I couldn't see, but I managed to get my purse, pretty much nothing else. And um, it was just a prayer that just came to my head. I was like, Lord, whoever picks up that Bible. I pray they will um, read it. Now, my dad had asked me on a number of occasions what had been reading in the Bible. And because I was panicking, it came out absolutely nonsense. I just couldn't explain to him what I'd been reading in one straight sentence. And um, my dad didn't tell me off when I got in. He didn't even notice I was home, which was like amazing. 
And the next morning when I got up, my dad had couldn't sleep and he'd been on an early morning walk and um, he'd found my Bible. And the first thing he said to me was, Jane, you have no idea what the Bible says. You told me this says this and it doesn't. It says this. And I was like, I knew it was what I was trying to tell you in the first place. And that was the start of it, really. And um, my granddad, my dad's mum, and my dad just turned to God, really, a little bit more, not, not immediately. And then one morning he phoned me and he said, Jane, I was driving to work and I just sensed God. And I don't know much about the Holy Spirit, but I felt it was the Holy Spirit. And he was in tears, really. And he just started telling me that that was that. And he became a Christian. My mum went nuts again. <laughs> because, because my dad was like, um, you know, we could kind of tell what mood he was in and things like that. We could predict him. And suddenly now that he was becoming a Christian, he was unpredictable. And my mum felt it was fake. And because he'd had a number of hobby, hobbies before, fishing, badminton and all these different things, she was like, it's become another hobby. And it really wasn't another hobby for my dad. And uh, bit by bit, again, my mum sort of softened and I got ill. I'd been, uh, I struggled with depression and had been ill for uh, for a little while. And my mum asked my friends to pray for me. And they said, well, why don't you come and pray with us? And we all pray together. And in my mum praying with them, she became a Christian too. So that was the first time really that I saw absolute miracles because they just seemed so far removed from mm -hmm. um, what I thought they would ever be. And now they are strong Christians and it is such a blessing. The next time I was extremely ill in hospital with depression and I was going through a divorce at the time, not a divorce that I wanted. And I felt that all of my security, everything I ever knew had been taken away from me. I didn't know whether I'd have a home to live in. I didn't know how that would work out. I didn't know how often I'd see my kids. I'd been a full-time mum and love being a full-time mum. You know, I just wanted to be with my kids the whole time. Um, I didn't know how I was going to afford life. I wasn't working and I certainly didn't feel well enough to work. And just a, a number of things really. And also, as a Christian, I'd been married to my husband for 17 years and we had three kids and just sitting on a row in church was our life every Sunday. You know, we would we would sit on the second to front row. That was where we sat. And it was like, what's going to happen now? What now? And I just didn't know. And um, I was so ill that there were times when I had to be heavily sedated. And on one of those times, I was being pinned down by maybe four members of staff I'm not sure my adrenaline was so um high that I was nearly forcing people off me so they, they needed to hold me down um to inject me with some strong stuff and I actually cried out in front of them god where are you where are you where are you now and um I really feel I heard his voice and I said it before um to people that his voice it wasn't like I was hearing voices it wasn't that type of illness it felt like a whisper and yet stronger than a loud noise. It just went straight to my, straight to my heart, really. And it was just, be still and know that I'm God. And I didn't get it. And I didn't have a chance to get it. I was knocked out. That was me knocked out for like 24 hours or something. But when I came round, I remembered 
And I thought, right, I've been a Christian here for 20, 30 years. This is where it counts. So I thought, right, if God has said, be still and know that he is God, he is basically telling me not to panic, not to worry, to literally worry about what is in one day at a time and not even worry about that because he's got that sorted. And I had to put what faith I had left into practice. And God honoured that. You really honoured that. Oh, that's amazing, Jane. I remember you, I remember you standing up and sharing that in church. And mm-hmm. that was quite a few years ago now because my Nana was alive and I know you loved my Nana. Yeah. Um, and that's what made me like you so much. I didn't even know you, but I remember thinking, <laughs> she loves my Nana. Like she's, She must be like such a good egg, like my Nana. And then <laughs> you, you stood up in church and you shared that story. And I just remember thinking, why does everyone not do this? Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. just be like, just get up and share something like really honest. And yeah. you weren't embarrassed. You, didn't, you actually didn't give two hoots. You were just no, like, this is what's happened. Like, like what, what are you going to do about it? Like, this is what Jesus has done. And the story wasn't even about yeah. you in a good way. Do you know? Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. If everyone was just a Jane Ferguson, <laughs> the world, the, the church would, the, the things we'd be able to do inside the church would be, would change the world. Um, mm-hmm. And I think... Maybe that's something that's come out of that terrible time for you is that ability that like you actually don't give two hoots what anyone thinks in like the best way. Like you're just so honest and everything you say always just points back to Jesus. Like look what he did for me. Look what he did for me. me." And I think it's just, just, it's just amazing. And I just have goosebumps even like listening to your story, even though it's, it's quite harrowing to listen to and obviously imagine what that, that must've been like for, for you and for your family and for you know everyone involved um, and thank the lord you know you came out the other side of that yeah absolutely and the other thing though is that you know i wasn't like this beforehand um becoming the christian i am has been a process and it will continue to be a process we are not perfect are we and we're on a journey we're on a journey and i think if you come to a point where you think you've got it all sorted, it's probably a time to have a good long talk with yourself. Um, but in hospital, I really did have nothing. Like there wasn't even a chair in my room in case I threw it or something. So, <laughs> so I, I sat on the floor a lot of the time and I, I had all my belongings taken away from me as well. Um, just so, I, you know, I didn't cause any damage at all. And I just, just everything was stripped away and then everything being stripped away I thought what else basically you know I was was so sort of at the bottom of the heap as far as I was concerned Mm -hmm. that afterwards everything was a bonus yeah (laughs) so getting my sanity back um being being given like the smallest amounts of responsibility Mm -hmm. here and there um it was just like right I've lost everything I've got nothing left to prove Mm-hmm. Some people have seen me at my very, very worst. Mm-hmm. So what? Well, you know, you've got to get on with it, really. And if people yeah. judge me as an absolute lunatic, it doesn't matter. What you know, it? if they think that I'm mentally weak, yeah, I am actually. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't it doesn't stop me being who I am. You know, and there's just I've just got nothing left to prove anymore. So mm-hmm. Did you have <laughs> it's a good place to. I had loads of visitors. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed at first because I was too ill. 
Mm -hmm. um, my mum and dad came up from Shropshire. They're in the 70s and they came up from Shropshire sometimes just for 24 hours okay. just to see me and then go back again. And then I was in a boot camp, a fitness boot camp in Perth, which was brilliant. And I had loads of friends from there. And being in boot camp, it was a bit like being on maternity ward. <laughs> Because, you know, when you've had like loads of pain and you get back on the maternity ward with your baby and then you see a woman come with like a hair stuck to her head and you're, and like, and you're like, you poor woman and you totally, totally get it. Well, doing boot camp and doing like crunches and press ups and things yeah. in all elements of the weather. It was like, you know, we would all make painful noises and we would all just sort of bond over the pain. Really. Yeah. So I had like absolutely still have them, still have them. Amazing friends none of them go to church at all but they would come up and they would um buy me like little marks and spencers picnics mm -hmm. and stuff like that um somebody came and lent me a tweezers to do my eyebrows because i'd become like a muppet and stuff and um oh there were just loads of things they did and they made loads of jokes like absolutely loads of jokes about um me being a mentally ill patient and treated me accordingly like but in such a humorous way yeah um and sometimes when the nurses would come in to sort of kick them out they said you've got to work which one needs to stay and you, you choose which one of us would you like to stay because we're all there and they they just they came around me they absolutely came around me and then I've got another friend who oh my goodness she just had my back she just totally had my back and she stuck with me right the way through and um I bought Christmas presents online for my kids. So it was pretty much the only way I could do it. And she went away and wrapped them all for my kids. And oh, she's just amazing. And then I had another friend who would come in and she'd do all my laundry. And in a way, I mean, I don't wish that I was ill again, but I do wish she would do my laundry because she did it so well. And it was all so neatly ironed and folded and folded in a way I've never seen before. It was like material origami and I was like this woman is amazing and she stuck with me as well and you know a few people from the church that I was going to came and yeah. just every visit I had actually was significant it was significant and quite often my friends from church would be there when my friends who weren't in church there and I think it was good for all of us to realize yeah. that we're all normal so oh, yeah. totally oh completely mm -hmm. and do you do you remember a time once you you got out of hospital where or even when you were in it where you felt this flash of oh that's the old me back again like there's almost like a glimmer of like the clouds are parting oh yeah definitely I mean I mean I, I think when I came back from hospital I mean I have been in for eight months and it was a real adjustment to come back and it was more of an adjustment to come back and not have my husband in my house yeah um and not have my kids all the time um and I was crying but um I had this hope in me I had this reassurance that God was really real and I'd seen mm -hmm. him on so many occasions provide for me mm -hmm. just at the right time and give me wisdom I mean I'm not a bright spark you know and he gave me wisdom that was way beyond mine on how to deal with things that I never wanted to deal with, how to deal with the the response to a divorce and all of the paperwork that goes with that and communication with solicitors. Um, he gave me just ability, more than common sense, mm -hmm. to say what was what mm -hmm. and to um, work things out. 
Yeah. I think as well what you were saying, you know, your humor is so self-deprecating, but when you're saying you didn't have the wisdom, I guess yeah. the one great thing about that is had you been someone that had that elevated sense of thinking they knew all their answers, there wouldn't have been the space for God to move because you yeah. wouldn't have been able to hear him. But because you yeah. felt like at that point you had nothing to bring to the table through your own strength, mm-hmm. then what you invited into your life was a supernatural strength. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you allowed God to move, and you allowed God to work because mm-hmm. you weren't you were you were you were resting in His finished mm-hmm. work, right? Yeah. Um, and it's amazing to see how He moved and hear how He moved. And I didn't I didn't know you then. Um, mm-hmm. I only I, I only know you now post that story. Um, mm-hmm. Do you look back and think that? Is, is it easy for you now to see that God had it all figured out? Or is there still elements where you think, I'll have to get to heaven before I understand that part of the puzzle? I think there's a reality, and it's the same with um, the people who are struggling with addiction. But when you give your life to Jesus and you're an addict, you actually are still an addict. You know, things don't sort of source out overnight. And... Similarly, when I sort of handed everything back to God and said, right, I know you're totally in control. It didn't take the hurt away of going through a divorce. It, you know, I was not, never embarrassed about my mental health. That couldn't have helped it anyway. Um, I was never embarrassed about that, but I was very self-conscious about being on my own again. And even going to church and not having my family next to me, I wasn't used to that at all. So there were like little moments now and again where I'd have a wobble. And you know what? There still is. Like, and I still sometimes struggle with depression and things, but I do know that God has never left me. And just recently, even um, I was freaking out about getting ill because I, was, I had like a couple of weeks of just being really, really down. And one of my biggest fears was going back into hospital again. And yet in the Bible, it says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. It was like, I'm anxious. I'm absolutely anxious. And um, I went to um, the pastor of our church in in Wills and um, I just said, look, I'm a mess and I am petrified of going back into hospital. Now, Ian's had cancer before he's had stage three cancer and he is not living in fear about ever getting it again. He's totally free from that. So it's like, I want what you've got. And um, as I was praying with him, I realised I got a picture again of when I was back in hospital on my possibly my very worst day. And I was aware that God was with me. And it's like, even then, when I was like that, if God was with me then, he's with me now. God doesn't change. He does not change. Our moods change. Oh, my goodness, do my moods change, especially going through the menopause. God does not change. You know, he is faithful. He sticks with us. He is more consistent than I'll ever be. And that is just such good knowledge to be in. That's what gives me my peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always think as well, something I've said a few times on this podcast, when you strip everything else away, no matter what's going on, I always, always come back to, like, this world is not my eternal home. Yeah. So yeah. there's all these things that can go on and we can be like the rock and the brook and all the craziness is going on. But mm-hmm. if there's nothing else that we can say, what we've got, in the fact that this world is not our eternal home solves the problem to everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
because we ultimately know where we're going yeah and who we're going to be with mm-hmm. and it sounds crazy to say that because that is what Christians believe right yeah <laughs> um, but it offers us complete hope and I think yeah. that it allows us when the world around us is 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 going crazy and we feel like we've been stripped away from nothing if we can remember one thing and that is that this world is temporal mm-hmm. and everything in it is temporal and yeah. what we believe in is forever then yeah we'll we'll be uplifted and we'll be heartened with that in some way Mm -hmm. but thank you for being on here today Jane I know that I'm going to get so many messages saying that was the best episode ever (laughs) and thank you so much for saying yes that is 41 minutes so I'm going to leave it there I will see you at church on Sunday but I can't say enough thank yous and I can't wait to hear this played back and thank you so much Oh, thank you for letting me talk. Brilliant. Brilliant. Anytime. Hi, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. So if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review or even email me with anything you think I could do to make this podcast better. I'm totally open to hearing feedback and ideas. Every single week, I am emailing out a bit of an encouraging newsletter. These are going to change every week. Sometimes it's going to be thoughts that God has put in my heart. Sometimes it's going to just be maybe a series of funny stories or life hacks or things that I find helpful. Either way, it's a great way for us to connect and I would love to have you on the subscribers list. So make sure to do that. Have a lovely week praying for God's protection over you as you just go about your business and I'll see you again. Bye.